Hello, and welcome to Leather Talk with Mr. Bullet Leather 2020. I'm your host, Brandon. Today's guest is someone whom I've been following a long time across social media platforms. He's a fellow leatherman all the way from New York, and has influenced countless people within the LGBTQ community with his show, Talk About Gay Sex. Later on, we'll get into some juicy hot topics, including flogging, spanking, and bondage. Get ready for some more leather talk. Everybody, this is Brandon, your Mr. Bullet Leather 2020, and today we have Steve. Uh, Steve, would you mind introducing yourself, please? Hi, I'm Steve V. Rodriguez. Don't forget the V in there. I'm the host of Tag's podcast, Talk About Gay Sex. Um, I'm 49 years old and male. I'm gay. I identify as gay, and I've been in the leather community or in and around it for the last, oh, I don't know, six or seven years, I guess. All right. That's awesome. Um, yeah, you're you're kind of a unique um, interview for me, mainly because I've been listening to your podcast for so long, and I didn't really know that you were, I mean, you've mentioned kind of that you were in the, the leather BDSM scene, but I don't know if we've really heard a lot about your journey as in, into that world from your podcast. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because the time I always think I have, and a lot of my friends would concur that I have so many like different lives in so far in my 49 years. And I think that when I got into the leather scene, I went like a lot of things, I dived full force into it. And one of the things that I did to really make that happen was enter the uh, the New York Mr. Eagle contest in 2016. So that, of course, just requires a lot of... Um, I had been going to the Eagle Bar, and really by by happenstance, because it was a friend that took me there one night, and I was struck by it all, and we can get into that a little bit later, but I realized it was really the, a place where if none of my other friends were available. This was a bar that you could kind of just go by yourself and talk to the bartenders, be by yourself. In other words, nobody was going to look at you strangely or none of my insecurities were going to fire up like they can at you know other establishments. So I was really struck by that because I could go by myself and I love that and I love the music. And truth be told, I've always been into fashion and leather to me first appealed to me for its fashion. I just loved the look of it. I love accessories. But like I said, hanging out there, learning about the bar, the, the legacy of the bar, and then figuring out that they really had an annual contest, the New York Mr. Eagle contest, I became... I didn't, I think people started seeing me there. It was, I was kind of like my cheers bar where I was there mm-hmm. all the time. 
No, you definitely hit a, a bunch of good points. If if I you you're t- you were saying how it's like so different for you where you didn't feel like you had to worry about your insecurities going in there. And I just have to say like that for me definitely speaks volumes. Like when I go into, I mean, you lived in Los Angeles before. When you go into the Abbey <laughs> or, right. or like any of those WeHo strip bars, like I don't know about you, but I always feel like I have to kind of put on a face. And it that, that doesn't happen with me when I go into a leather bar. I really feel like I can just be myself. Absolutely. Absolutely. I've, like you said, I've lived in LA and there's certainly several bars here in New York or, you know, really across the whole country that, you know, they're, they're great. You know, there's a bar for mm-hmm. every, you know, maybe not now, right? You know, how, and hopefully they'll all come back, but, you know, there's a, um, a bar for everyone's taste. And, but there is something about the leather community in general and many a leather bar where a lot of the judgments aren't there to, to a point. (laughs) So I'm curious, um, you said that you kind of encountered the Eagle for the first time because your friend brought you there. Yes. Okay. So I want to know what was going on in your mind when you entered an environment like this for the first time, what was going through your head or what was going through your pants? (laughs) Right. Exactly. Um, you know, it really, it wasn't a situation where I was dumbfounded or going, you know, all of it was, you know, bright lights, big city or anything like that. It was really because I had been back, like I said, in the, in the nineties, a go-go dancer. And I used to wear, you know, leather, but it was, I had no idea. I just kind of wore it for costume, I would say. So, and I wore very provocative things, obviously, when you're a go-go dancer, less is more and, and all that stuff. So it wasn't necessarily shocking from that standpoint, but I think I was just struck by the darkness of the bar, the lighting, there was red hues kind of illuminating the bar and it's cavernous areas that looked fun like I wanted to explore there was instead of drag queens and Britney Spears it was deep club sounding aggressive sexy beats and there was porn on the tv sets and cages everywhere and I it was kind of like you know being a kid in a candy store like where do I go and what where do I want to explore? And, and, and then there was also just, you know, most people in general, we were going to visit a bartender that my friend had known as an acquaintance. And so he was, he couldn't, to to this day, he's one of my best friends now. And so, but back then he was definitely very accommodating. So all of that was just really, you know, I don't think I was exploring sexually at that point, but I was definitely intrigued. Yeah, definitely. Um, I kind of have that similar experience where I almost felt like I was kind of like Alice in Wonderland going down the rabbit hole. Right. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I was just like, wow. Like, like you said, the, the lighting and the environment really screams this, this vibe of just like sex. And that's also what I feel like leather does for me. Like, when you walk into the, a leather bar, your senses are stimulated in such a way that the smell, the feel, the touch, the the sight, the sounds, they're all like sexually stimulating. And when you put on your leather, and I've noticed this even more at home, quarantined as we are, the smell and the touch against your skin and even the sound of like 
what do you call that? Like the crinkling of the, right. of the leather, like all of that kind of puts me in a, in a place. Would you say, I know you said you're, you're more, you got into it more because of like the fashion of it. How does, how do you feel like with your connection with leather now? It's well, first of all, I wanted to say I was laughing at, um, alongside you because I remember when you did my show, you said that you didn't realize that you were, you kept going to the same bar for so long and didn't even realize it was a leather bar, <laughs> yeah. which I loved. <laughs> That's such innocence and and great way to go into it. Um, yeah, I, I think now leather and certainly, I would definitely say after that contest for several years, I got more and more into leather. I'm, I have so much leather here in my place that I could open up a boutique practically. It's so crazy. I need to organize it. It's just, I have so much and it was, but definitely the smell of the leather and I like the constraints that it puts on you and, um, yeah, I, th- I feel very sexy in it as well, too. I think that's one of the key things. It's, you know, men's clothing in general. I did get into it for the fashion of it, but oftentimes clothing is just kind of blasé. And with leather, it's a masculine way to kind of, for me at least, I'm just speaking for me, to feel sexy. That has a long legacy behind it of, of leather men. And, you know, I'm a big fan of Tom of Finland, the artist, and all of um, his inspiration, and Freddie Mercury, of course. I just loved how he played with all that, and even George Michael did for a while, and I just, it's it's kind of like this biker, you know, manly kind of sexiness that I love. You've mentioned now a couple times fashion, and I just have to tell you, I've gotten a couple, not arguments, but I've gotten a couple of discussions, I guess you could say, with some of my drag queen friends who said, uh, yeah, the thing about leather is it's all the same, 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 same. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, it is? Like, I guess, I don't know. But I saw, um, and I guess we'll talk about this a little bit later. Um, You you showed me this kind of short film that your your friend put together about running for Mr. Eagle. And I, I saw you, you know, wearing different kinds of jewelry. And how do you shake it up? How do you separate yourself from kind of the rest of the crowd? Well, yeah. So for me, I definitely have always been into fashion in one way, shape or form. I've worked in the industry. And and like I was saying before, I think that it's a way to feel sexy. But and I can remember when I was running for the the Mr. Eagle contest, the one thing that, you know, there was all these, as much as I loved hearing about all the, the history of it, and I did my due diligence and I really researched and to learn about the history and what I wanted to stand for and everything like that. But the one thing that I was struck by was the adherence that you have to abide by for the, in this contest, at least the three looks that you have to show. And there wasn't a lot of extra creative room to express yourself. Although I tried to, and you know, maybe that's one of the reasons I got docked points though, because, you know, I wanted, I wanted to add my flair to it essentially. So I could stand out and I've had added studs to like, you know, my hat. I found a, a leather hat that really wasn't from a leather, traditional leather man type store. It was a fashion guy that made these really cool 
military hats. I think I've seen you wear them, you know, the, mm-hmm. yeah. And so this was not by a leather man. It was just by a fashion guy that does very, I think he does stuff for like Lady Gaga. And, and so, you know, I wanted, and I, and my shirt, I wanted to look a little bit different and fit me a different way. And, you know, there was definitely people when I was in the contest that I loved it, but there was some stalwart types that were not having it. And I mean, I kind of thought, whatever, this is me and I'm going to, so, you know, once all that was over with, I wasn't, I could do whatever I wanted to. And I do all the time, or I have, at least afterwards, I would mix up different things. And I think it's kind of fun to even play with gender a little bit. And I've worn fishnets kind of underneath my chaps and worn, you know, fishnet gloves. And, you know, maybe I'll wear eyeliner sometimes when I'm in my leather look just to, it's, it's a little bit of kind of like an F you to the, to the whole scene sometimes, because I do think that there's the one thing is there's just a little bit of like, yeah, must do this, must do this, this way. And if there's one thing about me, it is, I don't I like to break the rules a lot. So I love that. And I don't know if you've seen, have you noticed maybe a shift in opinion about this kind of thing? Or is it kind of been stagnant on that? Um, I maybe a little bit I, I have in the last few years. There's been a few that I've seen in New York. And certainly if you go to the various festivals around the country, like International Mr. Leather or Mid-Atlantic Leather, they've got so many different types of looks and age groups. And I, and I, yeah, I mean, I think so, because the leather community is growing up and there's a whole youthful, I was saying this for a long time, if, if, they, if the community wants to continue and have events that are going to thrive, They've got to embrace a you know a younger audience, and the younger audience is into all sorts of. It's not just leather; it's you know they're puppies, and there's a yeah. whole um, all kinds of different fetish, you know, rubber, latex, and all of those. I think are valid and and transgender, of course, that are not going to necessarily you know adhere to those old rules. Yeah, I really like. And I don't know, I hope I don't get any um, like hate or, or shade about this, but I really like the direction right now that we're going in that I see at least Los Angeles. I, I, I don't know really much about the dynamic of the community in, in New York, but in Los Angeles, there's a lot of kind of, I would call it forward thinking. <laughs> Maybe some people don't like that term with this, but you know, in my contest, there was a guy who went by the name of Lord Byron and he got up there in his leather and his Sam Brown and some super shiny metallic looking high heels. And when he got up on stage, he popped open his fan and the fan said shade right across. <laughs> and I was like, oh my God, that is so fabulous. It like, really is. Yeah. You know, the, the, there are current title holders. I just saw the other day, um, I think it was Mr. Sanctuary 2017 or 2018, who got up on stage wearing a red leather corset. And like, that's just the kind of thing that blows my mind. And it's just like, this is defining our generation. And maybe like, of course, leather came out of, you know, like the military and the biker um, kind of aesthetic, but like no longer is that a hundred, like true for everybody that's coming into the scene. 
I would totally agree. In fact, yeah, I mean, I think it's had to, you know, evolve on some shape. I mean, I, I, I late last year I went to a we have a bar in New York called Rock Bar, and they had the female Miss Rock Bar kind of fetish or, or leather contest, and it was really refreshing because there was not only just lesbians, but there were straight women, and they all really expressed themselves. And it was very multicultural people that entered it, and I just thought it was so refreshing and and cool. Yeah, that's that's really amazing. And okay, so now I I really want to know. Um, how okay? How long had you been into the scene before you decided to run for Mister Eagle? Because I've heard from a lot of older folks say that this is the title system has sort of become a way for people to introduce themselves into the community. Versus in the past, people who have been in it for a long time and wanted to represent the bar. Yeah, I think it was at least a couple years. There was the year before I entered. Um, so I, I think I entered. 2016. And the year before, I remember, because like I said, I was such a regular at this New York Eagle bar that a lot of the owner, I think even, and had said, you know, you should really enter this year. And I had heard about the contest, but I thought, oh, wow. I mean, doesn't that require like a lot of education? And I think when they were telling me to enter, there wasn't a lot of time to prepare and I was really thinking that you really needed to not just be a regular at a bar but know you know what are you going to stand for and all the various different aspects that go into running for one of those contests so I didn't actually and thought and against some of the bar owners requests but I talked to a friend of mine that he's actually in that short film that you watch it gets harder my friend's short film and Christoph, and he was he's a longtime leather man and also is a leather maker so you know he and i at the time talked Christoph and i and he said you know i think it's probably wise why don't you just take don't do this year go to the contest obviously as a spectator and then really kind of soak up and absorb what it is you know you either want to stand for what learn a little bit more about maybe the history and so on and so forth. And I did do that. I took his advice and I thought that that was good for me. Yeah, definitely. Um, I I felt very similar, although I didn't wait. (laughs) (laughs) I I was like, I'm going to wait. I'm going to go and and see all of these contests first. And I hadn't seen like some of a contest actually at the the LA Eagle here. Um, But like at the end of the day, I was just like, you know, I just, fuck it. Like, I don't need to win this is a step in my journey and this is just a way for me to just kind of take the next step in my, in my gay life. Like this meant so much more to me than winning that I just wanted to do it. And somehow that it worked. I don't know. know Yeah. Honestly, I mean, I, I commend you. I mean, I, here I took a year and to prepare for it and did not win, (laughs) but um, I think that no, but actually I do think there's a level of, you know, I definitely appreciate the fact that I that I'm one of those persons where I kind of need to sometimes if I dive in, it's like I'm kind of obsessive about things like that. But yeah. I do actually think that it can be so serious. And so, you know, I don't know. I I think there's something really commendable on how you approached it. And then for the most part, I'm sure you've learned it's 
you're going to get the help that you need and the guidance that you need once you once you win. And 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 I don't know. I, I kind of to do it all again. I'd probably take your route. I think. I mean, yeah, it was amazing to me that I, I felt like once I decided, and I, and I don't even know how this happened because I didn't make it public, publicly known that I was going to like run, but it was like weeks before that I, I just was like, yeah, I told a couple friends like I'm going to run, and I'm just going to do this for me, and I suddenly like an army of people just came out of the woodwork and were like we're here for you. Like, what do you need? I have my gear. If you need to borrow any gear, let me help you prepare your speech, all of this stuff. And I was like, oh my God, in a lot of ways, just that alone was worth it to see like how everybody was kind of looking out for each other, you know, and even the contestants, I felt like we were competing together. I didn't really feel like we were competing against each other. Maybe that's just my mind, but all of us were really kind of like rooting for each other and supporting. Yeah. That is cool. I like that too. So you you didn't run again. You only ran that one time. Correct. And is there a reason for that? I mean, I kind of I watched your video and you kind of said you know that you were definitely disappointed when you didn't win. Yeah, definitely. When yeah, my friends. So my friend that produced it, Rico Noguchi, had also run for the same contest. I think a year before me or two years and also was runner up like myself. And, you know, we've talked at least during that period, we talked a lot about it and have similar viewpoints on it. I think both of us and separately too, we had our own stories, but, you know, I think for me, it was, I took that year to kind of take it all in and prepare and find out like what platform. And of course, all the, the leather and the looks and and I was just so determined that I became kind of obsessive with it I think which was good and, and then I didn't win so I of course I was disappointed then like right away of course um and then I don't know I think I started looking at it a little di- differently because once I got over sort of the fact that I didn't win and I started to realize that, well, maybe it's not such a bad thing because I can still, the community is such that you can really have a part in it. And I, you know, I learned that at least in our contest, there's all these kind of things you have to do to, you know, once you're the winner, you have to, um, I think you enter the IML contest. So you got to prepare for that. And then you have to have a platform that everybody in the bar and everything agrees on. And I don't know, I kind of was thinking, I don't know that I would really actually like that. (laughs) And so I can actually have a voice and which I did, I think afterwards I started working with that same guy that helped me prepare with um, starting my own accessory line and we're still working on it and never came to fruition but I kind of found other directions and ways that I could still be a part of the community, but still have my freedom. And I think it was about that time that's when you know I started the podcast too. And as much as I love the leather community and, and that world, I think I needed to kind of just branch out because there's so many other sides to me that I wanted to express. And so for me, I, you know, I got asked before, oh, you're definitely going to run again. And 
I thought, no, I don't know that I want to. I think it was a great experience. And I really am glad I dived so hard and deeply into it and learned so much about the community. And that included going to, like I said, MAL and IML and going to the Leather Archives Museum in Chicago, and which is such a, an amazing museum dedicated to our leather history. I highly recommend it. Um, and just, you know, my love of Tama Finland and, and such that I think I was good, that I didn't need to run again. So Awesome. I know we talked, well, you asked me a little bit about my fetishes um, on your live stream the other week, and you mentioned that you are a fisting bottom. Uh, I, uh, I, yeah, well, (laughs) (laughs) boy, Um, I've definitely, yes, I've, I wouldn't identify as that. I just would say that I have tried, uh, I've been fisted on numerous occasions and really, probably never thought that I would ever get into it. You know, if you had asked me like several years ago, but I've met sort of the right people. I wouldn't call them experts. I'm using air quotes, but these are one of which I met here in New York City that he may even have clients and he is kind of an expert and does it properly with the glove and the right lubrication, of course, and takes his time and really talked me through it. And I learned, wow, I learned so much about myself and the amount of time and pleasure that it can be. And it's very psychological, too, because I often say it's, in general, it can be one of the safest things you could do when done properly, because it's not as though you know, there's any genitals. I mean, it's your ass, but there's a glove. And so, and the amount of time that it really takes to be able to get one, two, three, the whole hand and fist into somebody is a long process, which requires a lot of unsaid cues that you're, each of you are emitting to each other. It's a conversation, not always verbal, that you know, there's a lot of trust involved. And I like that whole process. It's obviously, it's not something, at least for me, that I, you can do all the time. But I have definitely have enjoyed it with this one person. And then there was uh, a boyfriend that I, a longtime boyfriend that we kind of reconnected uh, about a year ago. And he is into that too. And, and so that, it was kind of nice to, I think when I dated him back in San Francisco, he was, he was a top. And so we had both evolved and, and in the right <laughs> roles, I would say it too. And so it was really great to kind of experience with him as well, too. That's really awesome. And you're definitely right. Like it, it does, well, really like any fetishes that you explore, really teach you a lot about yourself. Would you mind kind of going into maybe your first experience, how you first discovered fisting? Yeah, I well, actually, now that I think about it, it was with it was with a kind of a sexual healer. He's almost like a shaman, and he has clients. And I found him on one of those massage sites. But I was struck by his type of massage because as you, I was scrolling through all of these, it was just the typical male massages that you would find. And there was something about this particular one where he incorporated shamanic kind of practices which included drums and kind of exploration through shamanic practices and i was intrigued by that 
And one of the things that we would do every time I would go see him would, we would, before it wasn't like, okay, go get undressed and get in the room. It was sit down and we had a conversation about where I was at, perhaps maybe what I was wanting to explore. And I think at that time I was telling him that I wanted to explore a deeper uh, I wanted my sex with partners to become a little bit more connected, a little deeper, a little more intuitive. And when we started the practice, he wears kind of a whole, uh, like a almost Native American look to him. And he has Native American drums and he has you kind of, st- or at least for me, had me stand I think it was just either with the jockstrap on or naked and he does this whole ritualistic thing around you and he burns sage and everything. And it's really amazing. (laughs) And before you even get on the table and when we did, we never discussed fisting at all, but somehow it was, I guess the, the opening literally that he intuitively saw I was needing or wanting And I would see him for several times after that. And it just became sort of like what we did. And it was interesting because we never even, and because of the whole process and because I trusted him and because it happened so intuitively, I think that we never really talked about that, that the actual art of it or or what we were doing. It was really just, it really was, I hate to overuse the word organic, but it really was the way it all happened. And that was my first experience. That you sound like, it sounds like you got really lucky uh, (laughs) having that first experience with someone who was really kind of taking the role of leadership and had experience in it. Um, I, you know, my first experience as a fisting bottom two happened more organically like that, where I like, I didn't even realize that it was happening until the whole fist was in mm-hmm. um and i'm like oh my god like i can't believe like i can't believe it i don't know i was just in disbelief like but yeah and, and i don't think i only did it maybe once or twice another time as a bottom like where i planned it and like <clears throat> have you do you do like a cleaning out ritual <laughs> for when you get fisted or do you just kind of uh wing it no <laughs> um no definitely uh Prepare, but I not like in this crazy, you know, I'm not eating like salads all day. And but I think, yeah, I mean, I think I probably would clean out just like I would if I was bottoming. So, yeah, for the most part. And, you know, now there's so many like on our show, we have this great proctologist uh, who is an ass doctor and has given us so much. Dr. Goldstein, so much insight into our ass and the health of our ass. And I've really taken note from him on proper cleaning. And we've done a lot of shows with him on the damage you can actually do, not from fisting, but from the the preparation, that the over hosing, the shower hosing, and, and so on and so forth. And there's some great products out there, too, that help you or just kind of fiber-based, but, you know, I just think there's a lot better, like, you, you know, things out there on the market. Yeah, definitely. I think it's, you have to be sensitive to your own body. And it's, it's funny you say that because um, I actually use the, the product that Dr. Goldstein has. Um, it, it's the only thing that doesn't 
irritate my stomach afterwards. Like even just using like regular water, I I would always have like cramps or something for a little bit after. Right. Um, And like, I don't know what the solution is of the, the future method product, but whatever it is, like I use it and it's always been like a hundred percent clean and I've never had any issues with pain or anything like that. Yeah, I agree. And, and then that, if you really, you know, I think if you do know you're going to do that, your, your diet is important to a, to a certain extent. And yeah, I mean, I think there's different ways now that you can kind of, have you you seen that meme yet of where it shows like this guy opening up all of these like cheese and all of these different foods and it says bottoms when they're in quarantine i can eat cheese i can eat this (laughs) loading up now well yeah Yeah. exactly exactly i haven't seen it but i can totally imagine there's so many out there that is hilarious so speaking of quarantine i wonder how your quarantine experience is are you how are you staying kinky at a time like this well doing my two shows that are talking about sex you know, there's a certain amount of pressure to have topics, but, um, you know, there's a couple of things I've done. One thing we had a guy on the show who hosts these wicked gay parties and I've really been struck, I think, by all the clever creative avenues that people are going down that, you know, had traditional, maybe they were a promoter of a club or a sex club or, you know, maybe they had strippers, like we've had these other guys, the Donis Lounge guys, and everything's based on you going into their place of business. Well, so many have, have tried virtual avenues. And one of the things I did try early on, and I don't think I was very good at it, but <laughs> was it was a like a virtual jack-off party on Zoom. And I think I just, I got too caught up in in signing up for Zoom and choosing a background, which turns out I was the only one that had like this faux green screen, like I was in space (laughs) background, which I'm not sure, quite sure why I chose that and couldn't figure out how to turn it off. And then I was like, should I pull my lighting in? Because, you know, my kind of live in a work studio space. So I was like, should I bring my lighting in? So I look a certain way. Should I be on my bed? I got so caught up in all the staging of it that I'm not sure I really had a good time with it, but (laughs) I tried to (laughs) be kinky with it. Um, But the other thing I do, you know, I do this live show um, every week and I try and like kind of either dress up for that. You know, I set up my studio because it's a live video stream and I get a lot, I I really get into it with what I'm going to wear. And sometimes I even wear like, not that you really see it, but I'll wear like a leather jock strap. And I remind myself, I get ready for that show every Thursday night, like I'm going out to a leather bar every week. And if I'm wearing, a, I'm not wearing a hat, I'm doing my hair. And um, I don't know, it's a lot of fun. It's keeping at least that sexiness, kinky side going. And then I kind of get kinky with some of the social media that I like that we need to do for the shows. And that's kind of a lot of fun too, because I think I, I was doing a demo on a sex toy the other day, kind of a man squeeze thing. And that was kind of fun. And I'm looking at myself in the mirror a lot more when I shoot some of this stuff. And so I think you can, there is a way to kind of 
get over yourself and turn yourself on that can be kind of fun. Yeah, definitely. I, I definitely agree with you as someone who like, I don't know if this is just like a the age of social media thing or if this is because we're both really picky with our own content that we put out there. But I remember like, I've never worked my angles and lighting more ever than, than the last two months. Like, right. You're, in, in some ways, like, like you said, you get ready for the event every single, every single week. And that's your sense of regularity right now. Like there's no going out to the bar. Correct. And I remember my first zoom, I was like, should I put makeup on? Yeah. Like, should I, like, right. You know, yeah. uh, you know, I've never posted nude or naked photos or sexy photos until this quarantine, because it's just like, I, I consider myself an exhibitionist and I used to go out to slammer and um, the NoHo spa and, and, I, that's how I got out my exhibitionism. And now like the only way I get that kind of sensation is putting it out on social media. Exactly. Yeah. Another thing I've seen naked photos of you uh, on Instagram. Well, you know, Almost. Covering- yeah, right. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I think, you know, like yourself and like a lot of people, not even just people that have, you know, shows like ours, I think, you know, the places that, we are quarantining in right now are really have to be everything. I mean, they have to be there, you know, we're a chef at one point and then we're, we're, it's a gym the next moment and we're turning our our places into gym studios. And then of course, you know, you've got to like, I'm finding like little nooks in my apartment. We're like, Hey, I rearranged my apartment a little bit too. So to kind of keep it interesting and in the process found like little corners that I'd never occupied before that now make a great place to shoot a picture or, or just to feel sexy by myself. Like one of the nooks is like right by a window where I often will just sit there and whether I'm reading or watching TV, I can look out the window and be like, wow, it's Saturday night and there's no one on the streets of New York. But, <laughs> but it's, you know, just kind of, you got to rediscover and you got to create and you got to, I think the only way to get through this is to find those moments of sexiness for yourself. And I think people are getting kind of, you got to get creative. Otherwise you'll just go insane. I mean, you'll go insane. Mm -hmm. So you've got to, you've got to like, you know, have those fun little party for ones or party with your partners and dance around crazy naked. Or I was, I'm doing, I'm a former gymnast. So I do, I've been getting back into handstand training. (laughs) Okay. And I thought it would be fun to do it like naked and kind of, and and it's kind of fun, you know. Do you have a partner at home or you, you live alone? I live alone. Yeah. Okay. So quarantine for you is even more serious. If you're sitting there by yourself the whole time, you really do have to entertain yourself. Which I'm... You know, I would date myself. I'm, I've, I find myself entertaining. <laughs> <laughs> I, it turns out I would. I find, yeah, I was always kind of a, as much as I'm a, love to go out. I mean, I really do. And I throw events and host shows and stuff like that. I'm, I've always been kind of like a loner in other ways. I really love my alone time and I have no problems entertaining myself. And I certainly get on the phone a lot and, I've really connected with a lot of people, which has been really great. 
friends that I have in either, I think all of us have, I'm sure, you know, people you haven't talked to in so long, people in California, it's been really kind of cool. And so I'm, that's been kind of the great, those great moments, you know, and I can't get, you know, have a day without being on the phone with my mom for like an hour. So there's definitely room for laughter and, and laughs and all that good stuff. Now, I did want to ask you a couple other kind of personal questions, and maybe I maybe I don't put this in the podcast, or maybe I do. I don't know. Um, <laughs> uh oh. Because uh, this one, for some reason, has become kind of a political topic, and I don't feel like it needs to be. I think it really could be just a personal choice, but for the longest time, until maybe the last six months of my life, I have been very adamant about not taking prep and using condoms and being responsible um, for myself in that way. And I, I do remember for a good while, you kind of shared that same sentiment of, of you know, I don't want to put, be taking a pill every day. Um, or maybe I was just projecting that onto you. <laughs> I don't know. But what, what is your journey with prep? Uh, I'm glad you brought that up. And my God, we got like a lot of flack for just really expressing my, you're referring to my co-host and I on our tags podcast. And mm -hmm. I think it was just really amusing that, uh, that I just brought up that, Hey, you know, you know, one of my co-hosts is in a relationship and that's, I think a year now. And he was saying how he definitely stopped taking prep because they're in a monogamous relationship now. And, and so that was great. And then Jeremy, my other co-host and I were talking, I was like, yeah, I mean, do you really think that, I mean, do we really need to even be taking it? And he was like, no, I don't think so. And I'm like, yeah, I don't think so either. And, um, and we got kind of a little bit of flack from a few different people that one person saying, well, I don't think you should really making be making your own medical prescription choices on your own without consulting a doctor. And we were really just kind of pondering it. Weren't, we were definitely, uh, and I've learned early on with doing the show, advocating, but simply telling our story and our opinion. And really, like I said, pondering the thought of, you know, whether or not it was necessary or not. By no means were we advocating, but we did get like some flack for some different people on it. And I don't know. I, I kind of think it's recently two things came out of it because my co-host and I remembered early on in our podcast, we interviewed a doctor at a Columbia University and we were so excited to get that interview. And she was so amazing because she does a lot of, it was early on in the prep and she was doing these studies on various types of like drip prep that you would just kind of go and get it once a month, say, and experiment, mm -hmm. and then doing a lot of work in Africa with HIV AIDS research. And so, you know, a leading doctor, and we were quoting her and we said, you know, she was one of the first doctors that told us that she said that PrEP, she, in her expert opinion, she didn't feel that PrEP was meant to be this lifelong drug that it should be a, during a time when you feel you are at your highest sexually active and it's not in her expert opinion she didn't feel that it was you know this thing you would just go on forever and so 
And I really, that struck with me, stuck with me. And I thought, well, we're not really sexually active right, or at all. And for me personally, which I didn't say on that show, because we sort of just let it go, but um, I had to get this, there's this other medication that's like for the skin kind of rash thing. And I, I had been wanting to take it. My doctor had prescribed it, but I knew he had said, oh, well, when you start to take that, be sure and come in after a month or so because you're taking prep and the two are going to need to be processed in your liver. So, you know, but I, I recently reached out to him and said, well, I'm not taking prep. And he didn't, he said, fine. And prescribed the other medication. And so I feel like I did check in with my medical experts. Yeah. So you, you, you did go on prep later on though this year, right? Hmm. Yeah, no, right. Oh, so early on in our episodes, there I was a little late to the game. I think I was saying uh, of getting on prep, and I loved what it was doing. And everybody kept. I was just comfortable using condoms. I come from the '90s, and yeah, honestly, really didn't have a lot of friction with any partners that I was meeting up with for having them use condoms. It just really wasn't an issue. However, as we kept on with the show and I was learning more um, and I had never taken medication at all. So I, I think that was the thing that I was kind of a little slow to like, do I really want to have to be taking a pill all the time? But, you know, I think I, I, I just came around and I learned that, you know, it's, it's, it's a, it's a responsible decision if you're going to be sexually active to take to at least do your part on your end. And for the most part, you're going to be at least covered from not getting HIV and so on and so forth. And so from that standpoint, I came around, you know, and have been taking it. So what about during quarantine? Um, Since we're, I mean, I don't know, I guess I'm just assuming, but uh, that you're probably not seeing a lot of people. Are you still taking prep every day? Yeah, I'm not, I haven't seen anybody. (laughs) And (laughs) And yeah, I think like what I was saying that, no, I'm not, I, I stopped taking it. And because of, you know, what I said before about not being sexually active, but also in mine's a very specific case, which I did check with my doctors because I really wanted to take this other medication that I knew both of them were going to be going through my liver. And so, and then I told my doctor, um, we have this kind of, email thing site. And I don't think he, you know, he didn't say, Oh, why are you not? No, no, don't take get off of it. So, um, yeah. So I I mean, but, and I feel like when I'm ready and I've talked with my co-host Jeremy that, you know, we would just do that probably after all this, you know, I would would definitely go get my blood work checked for just in general. And then maybe have the conversation with him again of, I'm going to choose to, who knows, you know, but get, become sexually right. active again, I would do that loading phase that you have to kind of do and, and start the process over again. Right. I, I'm debating on whether or not to stop um, taking PrEP because I only got on maybe six months ago. And prior to that, when PrEP like first came out, I was like, I don't know, like 21 or something like that. And I was like, yeah, like, of course I'm going to get on prep. Like, right. why not? And, you know, I, I've never had problems with condoms. Um, and I think at the start of it, even though I was on prep, 
uh, I was still using condoms all the time and nobody really questioned me about it. I feel like that attitude's changed a lot recently. Um, but anyways, I, I don't know if it had anything to do with prep or not, but I like my skin broke out in really bad acne. And I thought, well, like maybe my diet needs to be changed. So I started eating really healthy. I started working out all the time. I started just really taking care of myself, getting eight hours of sleep and getting on like this kind of routine and it wouldn't go away. And like after a year, I was like, God, like, I don't know what to do. I went to the dermatologist and she's like, well, are you taking any medications that are possibly hard on your body? And I'm like, the only thing I'm taking is, is prep. (sighs) She's like, well, if you don't need it, like if you're not being, you know, sexually active, uh, maybe try taking a break. And so I was like, I stopped taking it. And after one week, my skin cleared up. Wow. That's a, yeah. Yeah. I was like, wow. Like what the, I don't know if that was a psychological thing or not. Um, or maybe it was just a combination of, of things. And that was like the last straw and on stress on my body. But I was like very adamant about not taking it after that. Like I would rather use condoms and like not have to worry about my skin. Well, yeah. I mean, I think there's definitely side effects that, and everybody's body is going to respond differently to taking it. And so, you know, obviously yours was, you did a total trial and could totally pinpoint where, what, what's causing it. And I think, yeah, there's going to be those cases. So yours is definitely a case of, listen, I, it's producing this rash thing that, you know, right. and so I think, yeah. You know, I I'm on it now. I haven't had any skin problems. This is now. Oh, interesting. Okay. You know, uh, I'm 28 now, so it's a number of years. So I, I'm imagining there was a combination of maybe my hormones at the time, being 21 and and having all that. But um, now I'm like, well, when I first got on it, I was very groggy and having like really weird dreams and like it took me a while to get adjusted to it again so now i'm like do i want to get off of it and go through that whole process all over again or do i keep taking it wow yeah you've had a definite um relationship with (laughs) that i think i would probably yeah wonder too you know and if it's just as easy to continue taking it it might you know i think everybody is going to have to make that decision for themselves and look at where they're at Mm -hmm. with it all. And, and like I said, for me, it was really due to a couple things that, I mean, the, the the pill is meant to be used when you're sexually active. I mean, there's, there's no caveat to that description of why you take it. And if you're not being, it's just to me, logically speaking, um, albeit if you, someone like yourself that maybe has, you know, when you go on and off of it, I think, yeah, but I think everybody's got to make that personal decision for, for themselves. It's a preventative medication. It's not saving our, it's, it is saving our lives, but it's not, you know. Yeah. I know what you're saying. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's not like a heart medication or. Yeah. No, and, and unless you have, you know, you know, you are positive and it is keeping you alive. Like, of course, take it. But you're saying, you know, as a preventative measure, and um, I've been taking it for weeks, and I haven't seen another human being besides my my partner for the last eight weeks. So it's like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, given your story, you know, it might. Then again, it could just be, a, you know, if it's easy enough, all the doctors are doing. If you have a good relationship with your doctor, maybe a quick email to 
them and just inquire about that, you know, because if you're really not having any problems with it, but you know that when you go on and off of it, it's a whole thing that you have to go through. Well, then maybe it doesn't make sense just to stay on it. I don't know. But yeah, I know. I'm going to have to talk to my doctor more about that. Um, So funny story. I actually just found out the other day that my doctor is Mr. Regiment 2015. (laughs) He has a leather title. Oh, wow. That's awesome. I thought that was insane. <laughs> wow. Very cool. So does he now know that you're Mr. Bullet? Is it Leather Bullet or Bullet Leather? Mr. Bullet, Bullet Leather. Leather, yeah. yeah. MBL. Yeah. Uh, he found out through Facebook somehow. We, I guess we have mutual friends. And, and I was like, hey, like, uh, listen to the podcast. Like, maybe you can come on. <laughs> wow. That would be really awesome. I used to have really weird feelings about back in the day about my doctor being gay and I don't know I was kind of creeped out by that idea for some reason like I only wanted a straight doctor because I didn't I think I had back in the day when I lived in LA I'd heard a couple different horror stories of doctors that would you know go out partying and a couple of them like OD'd and and I thought, see, this is why I don't want a, a gay doctor. It's just like, keep all that world separately. Um, but then, you know, we've, like we have Dr. Goldstein on our show, and I just adore him so much. And he's checked out my ass before. I mean, not checked. <laughs> I wish he would. I wish he would. But he's very handsome but, and happily married, I would add. But no, um, I definitely changed my mind out of it. And I think those were just some bad apples and you could probably have a, a, a more open dialogue communication if you were on the same page. I, and I'm actually quite amazed. Um, and again, this, these might just be a few bad apples, but I've had straight doctors for the most part in the past. And I remember like my last doctor, I had to explain to him what like some of the lingo was like, uh, sometimes some doctors don't understand what top and bottom means. Uh, some some doctors don't know. I remember I had explained what a cock ring was to one of my doctors, and and uh, urethral sounding was, and um, like, and I'm like, I don't. Know I'd love to be a like, fly on the wall in that office visit. <laughs> <laughs> but I, and I also remember that one of my doctors, and he has my record. You know, comes up to me years. You know, I was like maybe 27 or something, and. And he was like, well, there's this, there's this medication called Truvada that you could go on. And I was like, yeah, been on it, done that. Like, you could read my record. Right. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. So just that kind of thing really makes me thankful for having a, a gay doctor. That being said, my current doctor, I, he's awesome and he's straight. And like I said, I was a little late to the game to get on prep, but when I went in there finally to talk to him about it. He was like, oh, awesome. I have plenty of clients that are on it. Let's get you started. And it was really like so easy breezy. And, um, you know, he just, he told, he went through all the, here's what you got to do, the testing, this and that. And, and I, I like him. So, you know, there's, there's great, all kinds of great doctors and, and not some so great. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. Straight or gay, I think it just depends on the the doctor themselves. Yes, exactly. 
All right. Well, with all that talk about uh, prep and uh, being prepared for ha- to having those uh, sexual encounters, we we talked a little bit about fisting. Do you have any other kinks or fetishes? Um. Yeah, a couple of them. I've I really like getting flogged. Uh, and I we have this guy that has been on the show a few times, Master Joshua, and he's a kind of a BDSM master. Throws fetish parties kink parties, really is expanding the conversation. And I've been flogged by him several times. And I love the whole, I love the, I have a few flogs here and I love the smell of them. The Like I have one that's like really beautiful, deep, deep red leather. And it's quite large with the leather fringe and it just smells great. I love the feel of it. I love how you can go from if again, it's that like, there's always some sort of communication, verbal or non, that's happening between the dominant and the person getting flogged. And I like how the flogger kind of has to read your body and and kind of go with it. And then there's a whole nurturing side to it too that I really kind of get off on that I think is really kind of cool. I also like uh, rope play, although I haven't done it that much. And you really have to know, it's hard to find those that really know how to do the rope play. But again, I love the constraints of it, but I also love that the rope, some of them feel really good on your skin. And I think it looks kind of sexy. And if you're hoisted up, it's kind of really cool to kind of hang. And I think that's kind of cool. Um, yeah. So you're experiencing all of this as the the bottom? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Although I wouldn't mind okay. trying to flog, um, get, I, you know, I think in this whole quarantine thing, you're kind of exploring different areas about yourself, and I wouldn't mind being the dominant one on on that one for sure. The the rope I wouldn't mind, but it's so complicated, and somebody bought me a kit, and it's I'm just I'm not really arts and crafty. I'm creative, but not really good with ropes and that kind of thing. So I make a, I get, I get tied up better than. I have never heard of ropes being described as arts and crafty. <laughs> that is so funny. Oh, I know. As I was, as I was saying it too, I was like, well, but you kind of, you know what I mean? You kind of have to be. Is somebody that's good with tools and and all of that, I can barely hang a picture. Um, and <laughs> there's more motivation if it's a naked man on the picture to get that picture up on the wall. But yeah, I'm just not really <laughs> good that way. But flogging, I wouldn't mind being the dominant on. I think that would be kind of cool. Yeah. And, you know, for those of us listening right now, if you want to go watch that short film that was put together by Steve V. Rodriguez's friend, what was the title of that again? It Gets Harder. It Gets Harder. And I'll I'll put a link to that actually in in the description. But um, there is like a good 10 minutes where you can see you getting flogged and spanked and all of this stuff and uh it is really hot. I can see the expression and the reactions on your face and the, the top really knew what he was doing. Yes. He's, he's also another expert. Christophe was the guy you're referring to a former leather man, a former Mr. New York leather man. And he, he's really good at flogging and just so confident with it. And, but again, he also incorporates 
spanking in there too. And I, I also, I like getting spanked as well. I think that's kind of. Yeah, definitely. I, I love what I loved the most was he, I, I was watching him flog you for a little bit and, and your, your body had made some kind of, you know, motions and movements. And, and you could tell that he was really reading that. And he took a pause and came up to you and started rubbing you and touching your shoulders. And I think he was even whispering in your ear a little bit. And I thought that was really sexy when he did that. Yeah. Like I said, it's a, this really cool dance that I think both of you kind of play and it's really the dominance top to kind of read when to kind of increase. It's kind of an art form if you think about it, because they have to really read the body and when to go a little bit harder, when to maybe be a little bit more sensual with it, when to really be nurturing. And then also they have to really know what they're doing in terms of not hitting you in in areas that could really do a lot of harm. So, because you can. Right. It's riding that threshold. It's like it, once it becomes too much, I mean, at least for me, because I'm, I tend to be the, the bottom in situations like that. Once it becomes too much, it's just like, I'm done. Like my brain is out of it now. Yeah. It's a mental game that you have to write. Anytime your mind starts getting out of it, it's going to feel painful. But a good, but I would argue that a good dominant who would be able to read their subject or the person that they're mm-hmm. giving this to and know that, okay, it's either time to back off or something of that nature, or, you know, throw right. out your safe word. Right. I like how you describe it as a dance, you know, yeah. it takes two to tango. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. So I, I, I'm also curious because you, we talked a little bit of, uh, about at the beginning of the podcast, your uh, running for Mr. Eagle and having to have like a platform and sort of like a mission um, that comes along with that. Do you remember what your platform was at the time? And and has that changed now with kind of your outreach to the community through your podcast and, and everything that you do? It's so funny because when you when we said we were going to do this interview and I sent you that short film, It Gets Harder, I was anticipating you were going to ask that question and I couldn't remember <laughs> exactly <laughs> what it was. And I could have just probably looked it up, but... Um, but I think it was the thing about it was, I think it was kind of that I really wanted to use the platform as, as, and to throw, I know what it was. I wanted to kind of throw like events throughout the year that were going to, um, incorporate different age groups and ethnicities. And I think I wanted to throw like parties, but that were going to be kind of tap into maybe different audiences that wouldn't normally go to the Eagle and kind of introduce them. And I wanted to do at those parties, I wanted to do education. I mean, I call it education, but I wanted there to be like classes where, you know, the one thing about the leather community and all that world I love is that you can really explore it as much as you really want and you can really dive deep and so many people do and they find their home but it can also sometimes feel a little um exclusive at times and you're expected to kind of know a lot of the various terminologies and there's not always a lot of education i feel and i thought it'd be fun to throw kind of parties that would 
maybe start with like a class by an expert and do some of those things like flogging demos and and make it interactive and rope mm -hmm. rope play and you know kind of do this fun class where people could explore learn from the proper etiquette learn when to use a safe word learn how to not hurt somebody and learn to kind of try trial and error type things to see if you want to explore it further and then like turn it into a party afterwards and and kind of get different audiences that maybe maybe didn't know about the bar to come in so i think that's what i was trying to do is just kind of broaden and expand um mm -hmm. everything definitely and it seems like you've i mean you've certainly done a lot of education through your podcast. I myself personally have learned a lot. Um, so I guess, I mean, that must kind of have just been the evolution of where you went or I don't know. What, what do you think? Yeah. You know, definitely. Um, I mean, the, the podcast really just started shortly after all that of really just having conversations with my friends about things that we were seeing when we went out, dating stories, sex stories, um, you know, asking our, my fellow friends at late night, have you ever experienced this? And, and, and really opening up with, you know, your friends often intimately, you know, I think in the past I would have never been comfortable ever talking about fisting as much as I am okay with it today. I would have just been like, Oh, of course, I'm not going to, I was such a prude back in the day. And, you know, I just realized, you know, if you find yourself with a cool group of friends that you really trust, and, and if you really are uh, vulnerable, in a way that just, just being honest, and then you're going to get the same thing back. And so that's really how the show started, just from that, just being honest and open. And to my surprise, listeners have come and said, wow, I really like how you're so open and honest. And I think that's the key to the show is, you know, no one's going to really want to listen to the show if I'm not being honest and open about my world, because it's just not going to, you can read that when you're in your listening. It, it, and so people need you to be upfront. And so the show's actually helped me. And in terms of education, yeah, I definitely like to have, you know, experts on the show, but I try and find experts that, you know, it's fun. And like we've talked about Dr. Goldstein several times and, you know, he's definitely not a dry guest when he's ever on the show. He's very, you know, he gets it and he, he makes it fun. And we're definitely, I never want the show to be preachy or oh, only I'm, I'm happy when people learn things. I learn things on the show, but I also want it to be a conversation Definitely. Yeah. And an exploration with my co-hosts and ponderings and, and breaking down hot gay sex topics that make the news. I love doing that. And so it's kind of a combination of all those things that I think make it a lot of fun for me. That's really awesome. And, you know, you, you mentioned kind of opening up about yourself in many ways. I'm curious, does your family know that you're kind of like a, a gay New York podcasting icon <laughs> Did they... well interestingly enough uh, my sister uh is my uh we've worked together before we're um, we're best friends practically and 
she well to answer your question yes she's very supportive of you know her she has a gay best friend and has had for years and she helped me we did a tv pilot for the that we shot late last year that we're kind of having someone edit it right now and it's looking really good well she directed it the episode and so she's very involved actually in it and she tunes into my live streaming podcast every week and she's heard me talk about fisting and it's very comfortable you know and then my mom knows i have a a podcast and i think i went as far to say it's about you know gay sexuality so she knows that much but that's as far as it's gonna go okay. go with her <laughs> she doesn't need to know any more than that <laughs> i mean i don't even know if my parents would know how to get the podcast on their phone i mean they're that not technologically savvy <laughs> Same. That's the other thing with my mother, too, is that she wouldn't know how to get it either. So, yeah, I think I'm safe on that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, before we go, and I like to try to ask almost every guest this if they if they haven't kind of touched on it already in, in their interview is if you could say something to the younger generations coming into the community and even people that still haven't even come out yet. What would be that message? What would you say to them? That you're definitely not alone and you're coming in at a good time when there's a lot of ways to, you know, you've got the internet, you may feel alone, you may feel isolated, but unlike other generations, you've got the internet to really kind of explore and and chances are you're going to find like-minded people they might not be in your backyard, but you're going to find them out there. And fortunately, with people like, you know, you doing your show and mine, and there's even in the last since we started mine, there weren't that many gay related podcasts that talked openly about gay sexuality. And now there's they're popping up a lot. So there's, you know, I would say to really just kind of explore and, and use this time frame to dive into some of these and you're going to you're going to learn a lot about that you're not alone and you're going to learn that you're going to kind of find your place and then just kind of dive in I think is really kind of the key. And the other thing I would add to that though is try and don't be afraid to learn uh, some of our beautiful tragic at times gay history and there's so much out there on that too that you can great documentaries out there that really talk about Stonewall and there's all kinds of documentaries about key figures that really made an impact in one way, shape or form that you just learn by diving in. And, and it's, it's a lot of fun, I think. I definitely agree with that about the, the history and uh, not just leather history, but gay history in general, like you said, really makes you realize that being gay, that you're not alone, you're really a part of a legacy a really strong, rich history that we're all a part of. Absolutely. And if you're, and if you find yourself wanting to learn more about the leather community, I highly recommend in LA, the Tama Finland Foundation. You can go, I think you can, it's, there's a place you can tour in Silver Lake area, I believe. And Mm -hmm. uh, you can go online too. And then if you're in Chicago, the Leather Archives and Museum is should be a must. And I would even take my sister there. It's just filled and filled with so much. Uh, they got so many great donations 
and it's several floors and you just kind of get lost in there and it's there's film and it's really kind of cool. Well, I'll definitely have to explore that. I, I've never been to Chicago actually. So I uh, that was on my, my bucket list uh, this year to kind of go around and, and do all those things. And uh, we can't now. <laughs> so, right, I know. <laughs> you will, you will at some, at some point. <laughs> Before we go, uh, how can we reach out to you? You can definitely go to uh, my the website, which has got all the information, tagspodcast.com, T-A-G-S podcast, or on all social media platforms, it's at tagspodcast. Awesome. Do you have any events coming up, your, your live stream, anything like that? Yeah, um, just the, so we, uh, Tags Podcast comes out every Tuesday on all podcast platforms, but I've started this new one, which you were a guest on, which was so great for you to do it. I loved it called Sex with Stevie, the, the middle initial V. And it's, uh, like you said, it's a live video streaming podcast that I do every Thursday night from 10 to 11 Eastern time on our Facebook page. And it's a call-in show, which is a lot of fun because I kind of wanted it to resemble the old kind of radio days of love lines and that sort of thing where listeners can, you know, say hi, weigh in, ask for some unsolicited sex advice or solicited. <laughs> and, and then I often have some guests call in and, and it's just a lot of fun. So. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for coming on the podcast and uh, hope to hear from you soon. That would be great. Thank you. Before we go, I'd just like to remind everyone listening that if you have any needs during this time of quarantine, the LALC Cares and LA Leather COVID-19 Assist are here to help. Between these two incredible organizations, you can find a pantry, a lifeline, assistance with daily tasks, and much, much more. I will have links in the description below. Additionally, over the last several weeks, I've had the pleasure of speaking with several individuals, including the music producers for the Leather Talk podcast, Foxy and Fuke. You can find all of this bonus material on Patreon under Leather Talk Mr. Bullet. Anything you pledge will go towards supporting the podcast and helping make it possible to keep hearing these very important personal stories from people within the leather community. Don't forget to rate and subscribe. And as always, stay safe. Stay healthy and stay kinky. Okay.